Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Sonia Kankar Todorovic. Sonia is the head of enterprise procurement, outsourcing, and third party risk management for Home Capital Group. She is also a dedicated and passionate advocate for increasing the placement of women in senior executive roles, and that's in procurement and beyond. So, hi, Sonia. Thank you so much for being here with me on the Sourcing Hero podcast. Hey, Kelly. Thank you for having me. So in my introduction, I shared very high-level level information about what you do, what's important to you, but what else should people know about your professional journey to this point? My professional journey. So um, it began over 20 years ago, um, and I like to joke and say, you know, I was 12 when it started. <laughs> um, <laughs> child labor laws were not really that important back in the day, but um, I am a Passionate customer experience, strategy, and transformation leader, specializing, as you said, in cost and quality streamlining through global procurement, strategic sourcing, BPO, ITO, vendor management, and third-party risk management. And, you know, with over 20 years of experience working in a large global organization, I have been lucky enough to be recognized for my leadership and my contributions, not just by my employers, but also uh, by the supply chain industry as well. I love paying it forward. I truly, truly enjoy writing numerous industry publications um, to, you know, share share the knowledge, um, share the best practices, um, you know, thought-provoking um, articles just to kind of get us to look outside of the box every once in a while. And I truly enjoy speaking at different industry events. Um, it is always uh, my way to, again, pay it forward, share the best practices, but also have an ability to learn from others as well. And at the risk of tooting my own horn, Kelly, I am also a cover girl, you know, 20 years too late, but better late than ever. <laughs> um, I have been featured on the uh, on the uh, covers of two industry magazines back in 2021. And um, that kind of, you know, it's me reliving my teenage dreams, you know, at this age. <laughs> well, congratulations for that. And Thank you. you've come to the right place. We horn toot all the time here. So please do not hold back as, as we have this conversation. Uh, now, you mentioned a couple of times paying it forward. And, and I think that's probably a good way to transition to what we're going to focus on today. Uh, you are passionate about getting female professionals into senior level positions. How did that become not only something that's important to you, but a cause that you felt like you wanted to work towards? Kelly, I really feel that I was born to do this. And I say this because I am the oldest out of three sisters. And without me even realizing it, all my life I had someone looking up to me and me being a role model to them. So it, uh, it really is something that, that um, I fell into and, and fell in love with. Since the day I entered the workforce, um, I have been working in male-dominant industries mm. where this passion really became vocal as I started to engage 
um, engage in and establish uh, different employee resource groups uh, with a main focus on, on increasing female representation. Because you know what, I'll tell you, um, at the entry level roles, we have, we're pretty good. We are at 50-50, so we have pretty, uh, pretty good stats. But then as you progress up the corporate ladder, um, and especially as you hit that uh, senior management level, those numbers dramatically start to drop off. Um, and that's kind of um, that's kind of what 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 ignited the spark and and really you know it blew up to to what it is today and and I have every intention to continue with it until uh, we see some significant progress. Now, when you have conversations, whether with women that are on that ladder or with women that are already in those senior executive roles or even companies in general. What seem to be the main causes or the the main reasons for struggle that it's hard? As you mentioned, we, we start off relatively easily, you know, evenly represented in the professional work pool, but then women kind of fall off as you go up the ranks. What are the main reasons for that? There isn't one reason. There are really are few. It's a combination of several reasons, some that we can control and others that we can only influence, such as, you know, constraints put in place by the society, which will take time and, and um, a long time to, to turn over. But, you know, focusing on the stuff that we can control, women are really not playing on the level playing field. And it really starts with the way we were raised for the most part, because we were raised to act like a lady. Yeah. Be agreeable, be likable, don't go against the grain. And these are the types of attitudes that really do um, hinder us as we are trying to make our make our um, make a move or progress within the corporate within the corporate on the corporate ladder. The expectations placed on us from the adolescence years, um, and I think not just by the circle of friends and family, but you know by media and, and now social media even worse really puts a psychological pressure on our self-esteem and how we value ourselves, which triggers this thing called imposter syndrome, which is not gender specific, True. but because of the previous points I made, it really is prominent within the, um, with, with women more than so than men. And that also hinders our ability to ask for what we want, go after what we want, but most importantly, negotiate for ourselves. And, um, you know, I'll say from the personal experience, one thing that's very specific to women, and I have lived it myself, is that no matter how much we want to pretend, having children does hinder your career progression. And, um, you know, I think there is there is there is laws in place, there is policies in place to kind of, you know, mitigate those risks. But, you know, I've been a victim of it. I have two children and two, um, you know, and I have, I've only taken four months off. But in here in Canada, we have a full year that is, that is okay. a, you know, uh, allocated for, for maternity leave. But even with taking just four months off, I actually had somebody tell me once I came back after four months and there was a, there was a, a role that was up for grabs. And obviously I put my, my, uh, my name in the hat and said, hey, you know, I know I'm qualified. I've been doing it. Uh, before, you know, I just kind of want to uh, right now make it official. And that leader actually said to me, hey, you've been gone for a quarter of the year. This role should really go to somebody that's been here the entire year. Oh, my God. So it really didn't matter what my qualifications were. It was the fact that I was out of sight and out of mind for four months that that uh, stopped that career progression at that time. So, and, you know, as I said, some things we can control, others we can't. 
You know, and it's really interesting. I'll I'll add my own experience to that. Uh, I had a, a full time. I don't know, I guess you'd call it a real job with a salary and all that, bazillion percent travel um, that I stepped away from when it was time to start having kids. And and I ended up in between my first and second, uh, I ended up taking the entrepreneurial route. And boy, that's just as unforgiving. Um, yeah. Even if you're sort of in the driver's seat, if you take a single day off, a single hour off, as entrepreneurs will tell you, everything comes to a screeching halt. Um, and so it's it's very difficult to balance. Um, I certainly remember scheduling conference calls during nap times and around yeah. preschool schedules and and all of that. Um, so if nothing else, I think we can say that, like any other personal choice or condition, it definitely impacts your professional trajectory. And so it's figuring out what we can do about that. Now, when you and I spoke previously, I was impressed by the fact that it's not just you're observing, you're certainly not just complaining, but you're noticing this situation that you wish were different, and then you're taking active steps to correct it. So can you talk about some of your experiences mentoring and supporting professional women on this journey? Oh, 100%. So, you know, with all of the um, inequalities that we do have, uh, something, uh, you know, I I, I said it before, united united we stand. And I think, um, you know, with women supporting women, there is no greater power and we can achieve everything. You know, it doesn't happen all the time. I think, you know, women sometimes do have that um, ability to to uh, not be not be the um, the best supporters. But I think it's because of the of the conditioning that we've been that we've been uh, we've been part of for the longest time where, you know, you're kind of fighting on your own. And once you kind of break that glass ceiling, some women tend to build concrete walls, um, concrete floors so that no one else can come up and, you know, potentially take over their spot, which is such a it's such a wrong mindset. And it really does not do us collectively any favors. Um, For me, um, it really started organically with the alumni groups. Um, that I was part of and became a lot more formal through different um, employee resource groups that I either co-founded or participated in. But it wasn't until 2013 that I realized that I could take this one step further than just the ERGs and leverage my role within the supply chain to open up doors for female entrepreneurs. This is when I got involved with different nonprofit organizations focused on women and minority-owned businesses and injected them as part of the you know larger Supply, corporate supplier diversity programs. I'm also involved with several different boards, um, and they're all focused on either increasing female representation in the workforce or advancement of the professionals through education, certification, networking, and, and standards of practice. So, I mean, needless to say, I am a vocal advocate of diversity in business, and I truly, truly, truly believe that diversity breeds innovation, whether it's within the supply chain with your with the diverse vendors or whether it's in your teams with the leadership, you know, the diversity of thought does wonders. You know, what's the definition of insanity? You're doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, right? So, I mean, you've got to break the cycle and inject some some, uh, some diverse thoughts, some diverse way of thinking in order, to, in order to make a meaningful progress. And I'll tell you, Kelly, it is this passion for equal representation and the persistent ask from my own mentees, whether it's the you know mentees on the corporate side or the mentees of the supplier diversity side, um, but you know for years they've been asking me, 
uh, for a tangible playbook on career progression. And that is what inspired me to write my first book called Be Bold and Brilliant. And I'm proud to say that it has made Amazon's bestseller um, in the career guide category the same month that it was launched, which was wow. um, March of this year. So it was something that I timed for the International Women's Month uh, of March 2023. And I'm happy to say that really um, it has made, first of all, it made my mentees a lot a lot happier, but also it sparked this whole conversation with other women who are in other organizations uh, developing their own employee resource groups and kind of using this as a playbook on how to uh, motivate, inspire, and you know push the envelope a little bit, um, a little bit to, into our favor to to kind of get the um, to get the ball rolling on, on what we are trying to achieve here. And I'll tell you the ultimate goal of this book, you know, besides you know trying to appease the need that we need to have some tangible something tangible to read and go back to as a playbook. But the ultimate goal for me is to reach the greatest number of mentees in the shortest period of time for the biggest impact on the numbers presented by the McKinsey. And I don't know if you got a chance to look at it. The report is called Women in Workplace 2022. And it shows that despite the modest progress, women are still dramatically underrepresented mm-hmm. in the leadership roles. So, and I, I don't think COVID has done us any favors. I think it put us back. Any progress that was made prior to 2019 we took two steps backwards as a result of all of the lockdowns that we had in response to COVID for the last three years. No, I, I completely agree with you about that. And it's funny, just the other day, I was sort of reflecting back to to what things were like in that time. And oh my gosh, you're trying to like find a corner of the house where multiple children are not at Zoom school. And then you're preparing and cleaning up from no less than three meals and two snacks per day. And then (laughs) typically in the middle of a conference call, someone can't find a pencil, a Frisbee, a shoelace, (laughs) right? Um, Now you've mentioned- How did we survive it? How did we survive it? This is is my honest answer to that question. I have no idea. One day at a time, I think, is the answer to that. I hear you. I hear you. I'm with you. And I'm glad that we are out of it and we have um, to laugh about it now. (laughs) Yes. Now, it was not so funny. Not so funny back then. Um, One of the things that I want to pick up on that you've mentioned, you've talked about mentorship several times. And I... I love the fact, first of all, that you talk about writing the book, not just because it's been asked for, but because it gives you an opportunity to share your perspective at scale. I love that. That is such a straightforward objective. Um, But I imagine you must also have mentors and role models that have been important to you on your journey. And I would love to give you an opportunity to recognize uh, whether it's one or whether it's a few of the women or truthfully even men that have mentored you on your journey and maybe picked you up or given you energy in times when you needed it. So I really thought about this because somebody else asked me the same question not that long ago. And I truthfully cannot single one person. And the reason why I say that is because as you, you know, as I kind of look back to for the last 20 plus years of, of my career, um, you realize there's different steps and different stages of the career, and the mentors changes as your as your um as your as you progress because you're always looking to learn more, and it's a natural evolution that happens. So I mean, I have been lucky um, enough to have several of of great mentors, both uh, male and female. 
um, that have really that I learned a lot from, and they have really uh, you know helped me. Um, you know, overcome imposter syndrome is the first thing I think that, <laughs> that it's yeah. crucial for everyone to overcome before anything else. But you know, it's 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 those it's those people that I I went to as trusted advisors to kind of you know bounce off ideas, um, get a pers- different perspective on, and sometimes get brutal on its truth about you know when I'm on the wrong path or I'm you know I'm thinking of doing something that might not that might not be in my best interest. And those are my brutal truth tellers that kind of stirred me in the right direction. And maybe at a time it didn't look like it, but you know, yeah. now looking back, like they really did have my best interest at heart. So I can't single out one because I really did have a lot. Um, but what I do want to, you know, use this opportunity to say is that mentorship is a two-way street. And, you know, seeking a mentor is just as valuable as being a mentor yourself. Because you, it is a two-way street and, you know, you think you are a mentor to somebody else and, you know, they come to you um, for, for advice, for information, for guidance. There is so much that you learn from listening to what they're going through that you might have not thought about it yourself because, you know, either because, it, you know, you're not in that situation or because, you know, I'll give you an example. I, because I do, a lot of my mentees are fresh out of school. So they're just in their first corporate jobs and they're trying to navigate, uh, you know, this the world that we live in. And um, the stuff that I learn from them all the time is how the Gen Zs think. Because, you know, I am not a part of that 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 generational group. And you, let's, let's face it, there are generational differences between, you know, Gen X, between boomers, Gen Xers, Millennials, and now we have Zennials entering the uh, the workforce as well. And just being their mentor and listening to how they think, what their challenges are, makes me a better leader because I have a whole bunch of Gen Zs in my team that I can now say, okay, wait a second, this is how they want to be communicated. Um, this is how they, you know, this is what they value. This is how they they uh, digest information. This is this is how they they like to. This is this is the way they like to be you know, to communicate, um, and it just makes me a better leader, and it makes my employees more engaged because I'm meeting them on their terms, um, you know, and understanding what it is that that inspires them. So you know, mentoring is great. It is a two way street. You have to treat it as a two way street because truly it is. And having a mentor is just as important as being one. And, you know, I go back to that whole point that I made previously about paying it forward. You know, it's interesting. As I, as I think about some of what you've shared, one of the things that's coming together in my mind from a couple of your points, one is, and, and I've definitely read this statistic that I forget the number, but women on average negotiate X percent less salary than men do. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's not an enormous percentage, but it is really on the board, whatever that number is. And then you think about the importance of not just receiving mentorship, but stepping up and saying, I will be a mentor. It would not surprise me to find out that many women who would actually be wonderful mentors to anybody simply don't step up and put themselves out there and say, either generally, I think I have what it takes to be a good mentor to someone who needs a mentor or to approach an individual and say, you know what, if you're interested in mentorship, I would love to work with you. I I can't help but wonder if those two dynamics sometimes don't go together so that maybe we end up with 
less female mentors than we could potentially have. Kelly, it goes back to that imposter syndrome. It's the fact that, you know, maybe we just don't feel like we have something to offer that is a value as a mentor, which is such BS, in my opinion, because everybody has something to something to offer. And, you know, it's it, it is that's why I said what I said earlier about imposter syndrome being the the greatest hindrance. Again, it's not gender specific, but proportionately more it is affecting women than it does men because of all of the other stuff that we talked about earlier. So um, and I'll tell you, the statistics that I read is that only 30 percent of women will negotiate for the salary. Seventy percent of us will just accept whatever is given to us. Um, so. And why is that? I, I, it's, you know, you got to step out of your comfort zone. If you don't yes. ask for what you want, the answer will always be no. We have to stop being so nice. Yeah, it, that's exactly it. Stop yeah. being nice. Stop trying to be agreeable. Like there is, there is, um, you know, I'm not saying, you know, create enemies because I don't think you should measure success by the number of bodies you leave behind either. <laughs> But there is a fine medium that we can that we can definitely do, and it is and it is making a step out of our comfort zone for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah so you know we gotta do it. We just gotta do it. Now, one last question I want to ask you, actually, to sort of bring this back more specifically to procurement and supply chain. Part of our ability to get women up the ladder and into leadership roles selfishly within procurement and supply chain starts at the very beginning and our ability to attract smart, bright, hardworking women to consider procurement and supply chain as careers. Do you have any advice about what we can do to position, promote, advocate for our line of work as a very attractive place for women to at least start their career and do a rotation, if not stay for the duration? So I, I, um, I, I can say that women naturally have high EQ, which is so important for a successful career. But considering that I would say 50% of what we do in supply chain is relationship-based, yeah. women do really would thrive in this environment. That's just my you know, plain and simple truth out there, would thrive. Now, um, I, I don't think that, we are doing a good job promoting this. And the reason why I say this is because I didn't, I mean, I didn't dream about becoming a procurement professional. To be honest with you, I didn't even know that this job existed when I was in school. Yeah, most Because it wasn't talked about. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of fall into it and then you fall in love with it. I wanted to be a lawyer. That was my big dream back in the day. And, um, and I'll tell you the, how I fell into it is that, you know, when it came after university, when, when I went to, uh, to apply for law school, I had a, one of my mentors um, kind of said to me, hey, Sonia, like, really, do you want to be a lawyer? Because that's very niche. Like, I get that you like that part of, of, of you know, that, that industry, that, 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 that occupation. But think about it. If you're a lawyer, you are really constrained to a geographical area that you can oh, practice yeah. in. And in a very, very specific niche market. However, supply chain is one of those areas that allows you to, you know, go with your business, use your business acumen, use the legal aspect of it, and use the relationship building skills that you have, where, and you will kick butt in that area. So that's kind of how I learned about it. It wasn't, it wasn't because, you know, 
I, I knew about supply chain, it was because I had a mentor at the time that kind of changed my trajectory of where I was going. So I think we really need a we need to do a better job at promoting what it is in supply chain because it's just it's not you know everyone knows about marketing everyone yes. knows about finance everyone knows about um, you know product development why not supply chain and you know what I think to be fair I have to say this I think you know if you want to look at the silver lining of the last three years and what has happened is that the whole supply chain procurement area has been elevated. To to the heights that we have never seen before. I think traditionally this this um, this industry was looked at as an enablement role, um, yes. and you know probably an afterthought for you know a lot of organizations. That March 2020 came, it hit everyone hard, and then everybody turned around and looked at supply chain to say, "Whoa, what do we do?" And it really did elevate this um, this industry, supply chain industry, to you know to a role of a strategic partner within every organization. So I think it's working in our favor that now we have the exposure that we have never seen before. And in my opinion, the exposure will continue because as part of supply chain, we now also have third-party risk management that has been embedded within supply chain because supply chain is the first line of defense. And that will just progress in its importance as we have so much reliance on IT. Everyone has moved to the cloud. We now have, you know, e-commerce that it's exploding everywhere and affecting supply chain as well. Um, so I think we 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 have a bit of a head start that COVID gave us, and now it's just a matter of you know making sure that we stay there on trajectory and ensuring that you know people know about this and what it is that we do and how they can make a successful career in it. And it is, um, I'll tell you, it is a career for everyone who is contemplating about supply chain that's listening. It is a type of career that. If you thrive in chaos where no day is exactly the same as previous, it's so it's true. true, right? Like yes. you can't plan anything because you don't know. Um, but if you thrive in that environment, you love talking to people. You love legalities around negotiating contracts for a win-win outcome because it has to be a win-win. Otherwise, you know, it's right. not going to be successful. Then supply chain is the place where you want to be. Now, Sonia, let me ask you this, and, and this is actually, this is a tradition here at the Sourcing Heroes. So prepare yourself to be officially initiated into the Sourcing Hero Halls of Fame in, in the coming moments. Every single guest that joins me on the show, the first time we go through this process, I'm going to give you two questions. It's entirely up to you which one you answer, and there are no wrong answers. So for someone who thrives in chaos, you will be completely fine with this exercise. <laughs> so here are your two choices. Either what does the idea of a sourcing hero mean to you, or what does heroism look like in a business context? Oh, those are good questions. Um, heroism in a business context to me means being a leader. And no, the title does not make you a leader. Being a leader or a hero is being someone that constantly challenges the status quo, inspires others to do their best while being their true selves, empowers others by sharing information, so not gatekeeping anything, but also clearing the obstacles. Hero is someone that mentors, coaches, and stands up for others. 
is genuinely involved and interested in making a difference, is being seen as a trusted advisor and truly does the right thing even when no one is watching. So I would say that's pretty good definition of a hero in the business context. And I would definitely agree with you about that. Sonia, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for the inspiration you have offered. And thank you so much for being here with me on the Sourcing Hero podcast. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.